back into our series that we've been going through right now. We're in week seven of our Sermon on the Mount series. It's understanding what Jesus wants his followers to be and to do. Now, if you haven't been here, or maybe you know you have been, but you've kind of been in and out, or this is more of a, a teaching time. Um, this is not going to be more of a normal message that we, we usually have. It's going to be kind of more of a teaching thing. I come from a long line of teachers. I'm the black sheep. I'm the one that chose to be a pastor and not a teacher, because everybody else in my family pretty much is. Um, but um, So we're going to do a little more teaching. It's going to be a little different this morning than we kind of are used to. Uh, and it has been kind of as we've gone through this series. But we're in week seven, and uh, we're going to be jumping into a section where Jesus kind of wraps all this section up in chapter five. And then next week in chapter six, we're going to kind of start a new section that Jesus is uh, going to bring us into in this this uh, sermon that he teaches. And, and we talked about this from the beginning. This is one of the the most known teachings of Jesus and one of the most least understood teachings of Jesus, okay? A lot of people know about this stuff, but they really don't understand what Jesus is trying to help us understand and learn and how we can use it to become more like him. So we're going to be in Matthew 5, 38 through 48 this morning. And so that's going to be our text. That's going to be where we're looking at it. But we're going to pray and then we'll jump in. Father, we love you and we thank you. And God, right now, I just pray that you would help me to share the things that you you need us to understand and learn. We want to be more like you. We don't want to walk out of here the same as we walked in. And even though this, this teaching may be a little different, Father, I pray that you would still use it and change us and make us more like your son. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Matthew 5, 38. Now again, in this section, what we're seeing here is Jesus basically saying, I know you've heard this. I know you understand it as this way because of how you've been taught. But now I'm going to give you a deeper understanding understanding of what I meant when I wrote these things out way, way back ago uh, when Moses wrote them out in the, in the uh, Pentateuch. So this is what it says. It says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the, the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Let's jump in. You have heard that it was said, he moves on, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For, the, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do, do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more uh, are you doing than others? Do not, do not even the Gentiles do the same. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So, once again, we kind of had this in your notes uh, as we've kind of gone through this, as we've gone through this section, and it's quite simply this. In this section, Jesus shows us the true meaning of the law. But this isn't Jesus against Moses. It is Jesus against false and superficial interpretations of Moses. So let's jump right in here and let's see what he's talking about. First of all, Jesus interprets the law concerning man. Retaliation. Look at Moses. Moses. Boy, I just need to slow down. Matthew 5, 38 through 42. Let's look at it again. 
Okay, it says, you've heard it said that an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him also hear of your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Okay, now, here's the thing. As we look at these things together, what we've seen again and again and again as we looked at these sections is, is we see this idea that God gives in the Old Testament. Okay? He shares an idea or a thought or a law or something that we need to understand. Okay? And what has happened over the centuries is man has kind of got a hold of these things and kind of corrupted them, maybe a strong word, but basically added to them or misunderstood what God was trying to get us to understand. This is no different. Okay, this whole thing, this eye for an eye and this tooth for a tooth. Now listen, if you go out on the street and you ask people, have you heard of this concept, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth and all those sort of things, most people are going to say yes. But if you ask them what does that mean, you might have some strange or different opinions of what these things are. Okay, So this is a biblical concept that God puts in the Bible, but all of a sudden throughout the time, things have been messed up and misconstrued and confused. Okay, so let's look in our notes because I wanted you to catch this because we have to understand what the problem really has become. Why is Jesus saying, you've heard this, but now I'm saying this? And it's in your notes. It says this, the Mosaic law did teach an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. It's in Exodus 21, 24. There's also a portion of scripture in Leviticus, I believe, and Deuteronomy. But over time, the religious leaders moved this command out of its proper spear. Now, the spear that God meant for this to be was a principle limiting retribution for the civil government and put it into the wrong sphere, which is an obligation in personal relationships. Okay, so let's stop and let's think about this. Basically, what God was doing here is basically saying this. The punishment should fit the crime. You ever heard that? That concept is what God was putting in here. You're not having a situation where basically, hey, I walk up to Nathan, I say, hey, Nathan, and I lie to him, and then Nathan says, you lied to me, cut his ear off. Okay? Basically, what God is helping here is this is a court type of situation where he's basically saying, hey, listen, if this happens, this should be the result. So he's limiting what the retribution should be. Because here's what we do as people, okay? Let's be honest. Somebody does something to you, and we're not usually content with just basically doing something the same thing. We want to one-up them. You know what I mean? We want to go a little bit farther. Well, you did this, so I want to do this. And God here is limiting that. He's basically saying this is what the limit is. Well, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law took it and out of the spear where God put it and put it in personal relationships. And so basically, you do this, I can do this back to you. And it turned into this excuse for revenge. It turned into this way that basically we could say, I can get back at you. And God says, it's okay. Where scripture clearly teaches that, that those things belong to God, not to us. And so Jesus comes here and he begins to say, hey, listen, you're misunderstanding what the law is. You're misunderstanding what was, it was in place for. And he's trying to help us put it back where it belongs so that we can understand. So because of that and with this idea, Jesus basically gives us about four uh, mini illustrations to show this principle of non-retaliation. Okay? So he basically says, okay, this is what you've heard. Now I'm going to give you some examples of that. Okay? So basically the first one he starts with is anyone who insults you. Okay? Insults you. Now, let's look at Matthew 5.39b. It says this. It says, is it on there? No, it's cool. I got it. That's no problem. 
39b. It says, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now, when I was a kid, now I don't know if you guys caught this when when you were kids. But I was a kid and I read that passage of scripture and I'm like, that is not right. Because I'm going, God has just given bad people, mean people, the, the ability to beat me up. Okay? And I remember even thinking that. I remember I got into one fight in eighth grade. It was pitiful. It was the most pitiful fight you've ever seen in your life. Basically, to make a long story short, me and a kid, basically, I don't know if we had gotten into Ninja Turtles at this time, and so we thought we could do kicks and things like that. But anyway, it was after school. Thank goodness no one saw it, and thank goodness YouTube had not been invented and all these sort of things. Because basically, at the end of the fight, I had one leg, he had another, and we're dancing around like this. And finally, out of just complete, like, not knowing what to do, I literally said to him, I said, maybe we should stop. And he goes, okay. And we kind of, like, you know, like, you ever do something dumb? And you're like, we kind of looked at each other with this. We didn't say it, but it was like we had this view, like, this should never be spoken again. And we kind of walked away, and that was it. We never, I mean, we talked to each other, like, nothing happened. I don't even know what we fought about. But I remember thinking, like, I mean, in that moment, it's like, I can't, I can't do anything. God says to turn the other cheek. That's not what Jesus is saying here. He's not talking about a physical situation. Now, how do we know that? We know that for a couple reasons. One, look what Jesus says. He specifically mentions the right cheek. Now, why does that matter? Why did, why did God, why did Jesus say that? Why did he waste all the ink? Really simply, most people were right-handed at this time. In fact, I remember we were in Ireland with the, 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 the kids for our missions trip, and we were at Trim Castle, which is where they, they um, filmed Braveheart. And it was great. And so we're walking up this staircase, and it's kind of winding up and kind of going around. And the, the guide mentioned, he said, the reason why this is designed this way is because everyone was right-handed. So it would, it would help the defenders. You know, people coming up the stairs would come up, and they would have their sword in their right hand, and they couldn't swing it because they'd hit the stone. But the people coming down could go down to him like that. And I remember thinking that it was great. And the guy even said it's because most people, if you were left-handed, they thought you were demon-possessed at the time. So, so most people here are right-handed. Now, here's the thing. Sorry, you, you, you sat in the wrong spot, buddy. Okay, John, can you stand up? Can you help me? Okay, come up here so everybody can see you so I can embarrass you even more. Okay, so the concept here, you're going to have to come here. Yeah. Come on, come on, my chemist. Come on, you can do it. Are you Okay. I want to make sure I know you're left-handed, so leave me alone, okay? <laughs> but the, thanks a lot. Okay, yeah, go sit down. No. So the idea here, what Jesus is getting at, is if I take my right hand and hit him here, what side of your face is that? Left. 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 Jesus specifically mentions the right. Why? Because as an insult, what was more insulting than anything was to strike somebody with the back of your hand. And so Jesus is specifically mentioning here not necessarily a physical situation, but an insult. This is insulting. If someone insults you badly and horribly, you're to turn the other cheek. Thank you. You can sit down. You did great. So this is what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying, hey, listen, this isn't a physical thing. But when people insult you, when people say something about you, you're not to go after them and do the same. Why is that important? Because let's be honest, we're not really in a culture today of of face slapping physically. Thank goodness. But I tell you one thing, we definitely are insulting to each other. We say things about each other. 
behind each other's backs and other people. And Jesus here is saying, and he basically says, hey, listen, listen, when this happens, you need to not retaliate. When this takes place, you keep your mouth closed. And you go, wow, well, that's hard. That's difficult. Well, Jesus did it. I mean, they called him a drunkard. They called him a, 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 an illegitimate child. They called him a madman. His own family called him crazy. He was constantly insulted. And he didn't retaliate. He didn't do it. So he gives this example first of anyone who insults you. Next, he goes, anyone who takes from you. Look at Matthew 5.40. It says this. It says, and if anyone sues you and takes your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Now, in, 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 in the Levitical law, it was against the law for anybody to take someone's cloak. Okay? You couldn't do that. You couldn't sue them and take their cloak. But you could take their inner garment, which was a tunic. Jesus here is basically saying, hey, listen, if they sue you and take the tunic, which, is they, which they can... Give them what they, don't, they can't have. Now, I want you to think about that. Because here in America, we love our rights. And we love, oh, you can't do that. That's my right. And I can't. You know, but Jesus here is basically giving us a very interesting command. He's basically saying, you don't only, as a follower of me, you don't only give what's required. You give of what isn't required. Now, I want you to think about our world and our culture today. And how different this is. How counterculture this is. We don't want to give anything away. We, don't, we want it all for us. And it's mine. And, things. and Jesus here is basically saying, you don't, you're not taking, you're giving just the minimum. You're giving above and beyond that. And when people come and they do that to you and they take from you, that you're not to go after them for the same reason. You're not to do that. And more than that, you're to give above and beyond. Next, anyone who forces you to do something. Look at Matthew 5, 41. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Now, this actually has a practical application to those that were hearing him. Okay. At this time, the people that are hearing Jesus' message are Jewish, and they are under control of the Roman government. At this time, it was law that a Roman soldier could basically come up to you as someone, as a Jewish person, and say, you've got to carry my pack for one mile. Now, you could only, they could only make you do it for one mile. After that, you didn't have to do it anymore. And the Jewish people hated this. These were the, the enemy. These were the bad guys. And I got to carry his pack around. And so they would just do it and they'd be just so angry. And there would be steam coming out of their ears. And here's Jesus looking at him and saying, hey, listen, when this happens and they say go a mile, go one more. Take this thing that, that, that basically the enemy is using to control you and his power over you and turn it into an act of love. Turn it into something greater. Don't go after them. Don't get mad at them. Don't look at them and say, I hate you, I hate you, I hate. Instead, go, hey, I'll go an extra mile. Now, what's amazing about that is how would that affect the Roman soldier? What, a, what an unbelievable act of love. And not just that, but, but, but think about that Roman soldier, man. He has done this 500 times. And every time, man, there's a dude, and he's just mad, and he's kicking dirt, and he's having himself a temper tantrum. And then there's this one guy that comes in, he's like, hey, dude, I'll go two miles. I know I don't have to, but I'll go two. What an unbelievable moment in that soldier's life when he goes, okay, wait a minute. There's something different about this individual. 
There's something different about. And the final thing is anyone who asks you to sacrifice. Look at Matthew 5, 42. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Listen, when you give and you share and you do these things, it'll cost you something. It'll cost you something. And I think Jesus uses this idea of a borrower on purpose because sometimes in those situations, and Jesus talks a lot about this in parables, there's going to be people that can't pay you back. And are you going to go after them? Are you going to say, you owe me? Or are you going to say, you know what, I'm giving freely to you. I'm going to sacrifice to you. And this is such a beautiful idea, such a beautiful understanding that we as Christians are not to be people that hold grudges, that look at people and go, ooh, I just want to get after you. Oh, the revenge will be mine and I'm going to do this because you did this to me. But we are people of forgiveness and people that look at others and say, listen, I will turn the other cheek is where we get that idea and I will go the extra mile for you. Paul writes a little bit about this to help us even understand more in Romans 12, 21. In Romans 12, 21, it simply says this, Do not let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Listen, we live, let's be honest, we live in an evil, evil world. And I don't know about you, but there's sometimes where I just sit there and I go, Man, oh God, what can I do? How can I affect change? How can I be a, an agent of change? What can I be? And how? Listen, we get an unbelievable example right here in what Jesus shares, but also in Romans 12. Listen, you want to overcome evil? Do good. You want to you do something to fight darkness? Be light. Be that way. Because you know what we typically do? Come on, let's be honest. What we typically do? We try to fight darkness with darkness. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. We go, somebody got me, I'm going to go after them. And I'll show them. And Jesus here is going, listen, that is not the way I want you to live. Because you know why? You know who that really ends up hurting? It's not the guy you're mad at. It's you. It destroys you. You know, I've had people come up to me through my life as a minister and they've, you know, they, they've sat there and, and, and you know that something's not right, but you're just not quite sure what it is. And finally they come to you and they say, well, you did this to me. And you're like, what do you mean? Well, like three years ago, you, we were in the hall and I walked by and you didn't say hi to me. And you insulted me. And I'm literally like, I don't know what you're talking about. And I said, man, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't mean to do that. I didn't wake up in the morning and go, how can I get this person? Oh, I got an idea. I'll wait till we're in the hall. This is my, this is my evilness. You see that? You know, I, I don't know. I watched a lot of cartoons, okay? This is my, and I will wait till they come by. And when they look at me, I look away. I have an evil layer down in my basement, if you didn't know. It's beautiful. And I, I walk away and I say, man, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to hurt you. I didn't mean to insult you. I'm sorry. And I walk away and I go, man, that person has, has lived with that for how long? I didn't even know. Jesus is saying, don't be that person. Don't be that person that lives a life like that. Next, Jesus reinterprets the law concerning active love. Active love. 
Okay, look at Matthew 5, 43 through 47. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. So Jesus here now moves into this idea of of active love. Now, here's the thing. We're going to go back to our notes so we understand why is Jesus even having this conversation? Shouldn't we know this? Shouldn't we understand this? Let's go to your notes. The Mosaic Law commanded that you should love your neighbors in Leviticus 19.18. Yet some teachers in the days of Jesus added an opposite and evil misapplication. An equal obligation to hate your enemy. Okay? So that's what Jesus is talking about here. He said, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Jesus is basically saying that is not there. And if you look in Leviticus and you look in the Old Testament, it's not there. It doesn't show this idea of basically the opposite being true. It's like basically they took one step and said, well, if this side of the coin says I am to love my neighbor and love my, a friend of mine, well, the other side must mean that I hate my enemy. And Jesus says, no, that's not what this is about. And he takes it even a few steps further. He begins to talk about loving them and praying for them and caring for them, helping them to understand that that God loves them too. Listen, I don't know about you, but this is important to me. If God does something, I want to do the same. If God doesn't like something, I want to stay away from it. If God here is showing his love by giving them the things they need, sun and rain and all those sort of things, and loves them in a way, shouldn't I do the same? If I'm going to follow Jesus, shouldn't I also be that way? Because Jesus here talks about this concept that if you're going to be like your father, you're going to love your enemies, which is very, very difficult. So can we really do this? I mean, let's be honest. This is hard. And he even says it. He's like, hey man, it's easy to love those that love you. It is. It's easy to love those that love you. It's easy to be like, hey, hey, they like me. I like them back. This is great. But what about those that hate your guts? What about those that hurt you and harm you? Can you pray for them? Now, if we're all honest with ourselves, uh, that's pretty tough. That's tough for me. Not that I'm great or got it all put together. No, 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 no. But that's just hard. Can we really do that? Why is Jesus even bringing this up? Jesus is teaching the character of the citizens of his kingdom, guys. We should expect that character uh, to be different from the character seen in the world. Okay, well, why? Why should we be different? Why should we be able to do these things? These are in your notes. Number one, we have something that others do not have. We are renewed, repentant, and redeemed by Jesus. Okay? You go, how can I do this? How, 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 am I, how can I be really different in this area? These are the reasons why. Because we have been forgiven. We have been changed. God is still working and forming and changing us. And if we can grab a hold of that and understand that, we can allow him to do those things. Next, we have power that others do not have. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Listen, I know this is going to sound kind of weird. That verse and me kind of have a love-hate relationship. You get what I mean? 
Like, I love it when it's like, I want to do this, and so I can because God's going to help me. And when it's something I don't want to do, I'm like, yeah, you know, let's, let's, let's not have, do I have to do that? We can do all things through Christ that strengthens us. Next, we have the Spirit of God dwelling in us. We have that power of God. Next, we understand that our future is secure. We know what's going to happen. We know where we're going to be. And look, this is not easy. We've talked about this. Some of the things that Jesus is asking us to do here are not simple, easy things. They're extremely difficult, and we cannot do them without him, okay? So this isn't, this isn't to put this weight on you of going, oh, man, here's some expectations. Good luck. This is an understanding of Jesus saying, hey, listen, this is what a character of my kingdom looks like. This is what person, a citizen of my kingdom looks like, and I will help you become what I've asked you to be. So don't try to do this on your own, because you won't do it. I'm sorry, it won't. But with God's help, you can do these things as hard as they are. Now, let point number three. We're going to wrap this whole thing up, okay? Because again, in this section, we've been dealing with some interpretations of the law and truth. And as Jesus kind of closes chapter five here, um, he kind of ends this section. So we're going to kind of try to wrap a little bow around it because that's kind of what he does in Matthew five forty-eight. So let's look at this. The conclusion of the true interpretation of the law, be perfect. Look at Matthew five forty-eight. It says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Now, once again, that is like you sit there and I don't know if you do this. I know I do. I sit there and I literally go, okay, God, Listen, I, I, I'm understanding a better understanding of, of why you said the things you did. I, I'm seeing this idea of, of, of not lusting and not hating and not saying evil against each other and loving my enemies. And I, I, the more that is coming, I'll be honest, the more I'm going, God, I cannot do this. I mean, basically here, what Jesus ends it with is, hey, be perfect. Just like your father's perfect. We see that in 1 Peter. He says, be holy because God is holy. Now, what do we do with that? How do we handle that? How do we live like that? Well, first, we have to let God help us, like we said. Okay? We can't try to do it on our own. We'll fail and we'll fail miserably. But with God's help, we can do this. We can be this way. We can be a light in a dark place. We can be salt to, to, to meat that's rotting. But we need his help. But I just want to leave you with this because I, I really believe this is a beautiful way that Jesus kind of closes this chapter out. Because when we look at it, we, we have to understand that, that although we have done this over several weeks, Jesus here is teaching this in one setting. He's sitting there and he's, he's letting people understand. So they're hearing all these things one after another, after another, after another. And then he finishes it with this idea of being perfect. But let's kind of look at these things. Now, if we could do this, if someone, this is in your notes, if someone could live the way Jesus has told us in this chapter, they would truly be perfect. And this are some ideas and some thoughts. And I just want you to think about this, okay? I just want you to think about this as I read these to you, because I want you to think about what life would be like for you and those close to you if this could happen, okay? If this could happen, number one. These individuals would never lust in his heart or mind and not covet anything. We could do this. We wouldn't lust, we wouldn't covet. We would never look at somebody and go, why do they have and I don't? And let that greed and that kind of that, that green-eyed monster of envy kind of come up. We'd never see that. Next, they would, uh, they would never make a false oath and always be completely truthful. 
completely truthful. Okay, no, 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 no little white lie. No, little, no, completely truthful. Next, they would let God defend his personal rights and not take it upon himself to defend those rights. We'd say, God, it's yours. God, you'll take care of it. And you go, well, well I want to take care of it. I want, listen, God's going to take care of it better than you and me. Okay? And there is a freedom that comes from allowing God to do his job and letting us do ours. Okay? There's a freedom in that. A lot of people walk around with this burden of, of revenge and this burden of, 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 of I was wronged and I got to fix it. And God here is going, listen, I got it. You let me handle it. I got it. And there's a freedom in that. And the final thing, they would always love their neighbor, or they would love his neighbors and even his enemies. Now, look, you look at this and you hear this and you go, oh my, what would, what would that be like? Oh, wouldn't that be wonderful? But I just want you to stop. I want you to think, okay? Because, because a lot of times we read this stuff and we're looking at this stuff, and I'll be honest with you, a lot of, for me sometimes and for others, this kind of becomes kind of this pie in the sky, by and by, glory, glory, hallelujah. Let's be honest. I mean, when we look at ourselves and it's quiet and nobody else is around and we look at those four things, and thank you for keeping those up there, Monica. When you look at those four things, or five things, sorry, five things. I want you to think about what your life would literally be like if you did that. I'm serious. Don't miss this moment, okay? Think about it. I mean, because because again, a lot of this stuff is, isn't so much that it affects others as much as it affects you. I mean, what happens when you let hate grow in your heart? It turns into bitterness and anger and disillusionment. And it's just, nothing good comes from this. I mean, here's what's funny about this, okay? If you kind of understand this. If every human being, whether they believed in Jesus or not, did these things, think about the world. Think about what it would be like. Now, here's the deal. And we, I, I try to get myself to understand this. I try to get my, <clears throat> my new six-year-old to get this. He's so excited he's six. It's hysterical. I'm six now, you know. I'm six. Six going on seven, you know. My six-year-old to understand is, is this concept that I can't control you. I can only control me. But what if I could do this stuff? What type of a husband would I be? A father, a friend, a pastor, a son, an uncle. What, what would you be like if you could be this? I mean, here's the thing. If you could be like this, listen, hear me. It would literally change everything in your world. Everything. Every person you touched would be blown away by the love of Jesus. I want that in my life. I want people to walk into my, my office or my home or, or when I walk up to them at Target and I want them to sense the presence of God because of the active love that God has placed in my heart to share with others. Let me give you a funny example if the worship team comes up. Okay. I, when I was in college, uh, some of you know this, some of you don't, I worked as a, as a waiter. It was a really great job because it was a, a restaurant that was actually inside where uh, the, the Royals, the, the baseball team in Kansas City, plays. 
And so it was like my dream job. I mean, it kind of was because it was like I got to watch all the games for free and, and, and stuff like that. And I was kind of like the baseball guy in the, in the restaurant as far as I was the server that actually knew like who was pitching and, and the players. And so anytime there was somebody important that came in that was baseball related, I got to be their server, which was really cool. So I got to kind of serve a lot of neat people and baseball guys. And so for me, it was really a neat thing. And so, uh, but I understood what it was to serve as a waiter. I understood sometimes how things will happen and, and, and they may not be your fault, but you're kind of the face of the kitchen and face of the food and all these sorts of things. So they kind of take things out on you and things of that nature. So I understand that concept. And I remember I was in college and we were at a really, where I went to school, it was a really a college town. There was, I think there were four or five universities all within like a 10-mile radius. It was crazy. And so when it came to school, you know, when, when school was out, nobody was there. When school was in, everybody was there. And so there were definitely places that kids would typically end up hanging out and eating dinner at and all that sort of stuff. And, and I remember we were at a place, and some of you know, I actually have them here, that was called Cheddar's. And we were all at Cheddar's, and it was me and probably a group of five or six other people, and we were all there, and they were just slammed, slammed. And people were, you know, where's my food, where's this, where's that, and, and we had ordered some, some dessert, and it just took a long time. And this poor girl comes up, I mean, and she's just, I mean, it looks like she just got sucked up by a tornado and spun around and then plopped back on the earth again. I mean, she, was, and she just came up, and, and you could tell she had just been yelled at because something wasn't right. And she came up, and, and you could just tell, like, she was scared to death of me, of us, because we were going to probably do the same thing. And she came up, and you could just tell she just had these tears that were getting well up. And she said, I'm so sorry, your, your food is going to come, and, and all this. And you could just tell she was not okay. And she walked away. And I felt God speak to me. He said, you need to go talk to her. And normally, I'll be honest, I wish I could say I did that often. But, but normally I'm like, no, God, I'm mishearing something. I had pizza for lunch, and it's speaking to me. Uh, but but I, I was like, okay. And, and I went to her. And she was at the computer, and she's typing stuff in, and you could just tell. And I just walked up to her, and I said, ma'am? She said, yeah. I said, I just want you to know we're okay, and you're okay. And I said, I don't know where your life is, but God has a plan for you, and he loves you. And I don't know why this night was as crazy as it is, but maybe it was so that I could come and share that. And I mean, she just began to bawl. You know, we're, we're, in the, we're in the middle of chatters, and this girl just begins to bawl and begins to just weep. And she, she literally puts her arms around me and just begins to cry. And she just begins to share. She's like, I just found out two weeks ago that my mom has cancer. The doctor's given her a month to live. She said, I just started this job because we need money in our home to help pay for doctor's bills. She goes, I've never been a server before. I don't know what I'm doing. I never saw her again. She kind of composed herself. And I looked at her and I said, we're cool. You take care of everybody else We'll wait, and I'll tell them. And if they don't like it, I'll deal with it. She said, okay. 
About 30 minutes later, finally our dessert came. And I love all the guys, man, thank you so much. You're cool, we're great. And I didn't share with them what she had shared with me. I just said, hey, man, she slammed. We need to give her a break. And they did. It was great. I don't know what God's going to do in that. I don't know. Uh, my, my heart, my belief, my hope is one day we're going to be in heaven and that girl's going to walk up to me. She's going to go, you're the weirdo. And I'm going to go, yes, ma'am. Listen, hear my heart on this. We need more weirdos, okay? You get me? We need more weirdos that can walk up to people and treat them the way that Jesus would treat them. To care for them and love them and not say things about them. Not judge them. But put our arms around them and say, listen, I know life is hard sometimes. But Jesus will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And he loves you. What if we could be like that? You see, I'm not saying we could be perfect in this moment. But I think we can get more like that today if we'll let Jesus transform us. I want that for me. So this morning, whether it's just me or it's everybody here, I want to let God change me from the inside out. You see, I I looked at these things. I kind of had the advantage of writing all this down. So I've been looking at it and praying over it. And so I know out of those five things, the things I need to work on. I know the thing that I struggle with. And I know the thing that I'm right now in this moment going to begin to ask God to change me in. I'm not going to tell you what it is. That's none of your business. Just like what you're dealing with isn't mine. But God knows. And today is a day of transformation. Today is a day to not just let the Sermon on the Mount be something that we read and talk about. This is about application and letting God do only what God can do in our hearts and our lives. This is about letting his kingdom come to earth and being that citizen that acts different from people that don't know who Jesus is. It's about being the guy or the gal that won't look at the waiter or waitress and demand, but say it's okay. Can you be that on your own? Probably not. But once again, with Jesus, all things are possible. So let's pray. And as I pray over you and for you and for me, I want us to begin to let the Holy Spirit really speak to our hearts and say, okay, here it is, dude. Here's what I want to change in you. Here's what I want to transform. And bring that to him. And put it in in his arms and say, you know what, Jesus, I'm having some lust issues. Or, or, you know what, Jesus, I'm having some insulting, you know, things. I say things about people behind their back. Or, or, you know what, Jesus, I'm... I don't live the way I should or I don't love my enemies and, and really I'm, I'm all about revenge and if, if somebody hurts me, I look for every way possible to destroy them. Father, whatever it is, Father, I pray right now as we as individuals, as me as an individual, we bring that to you and we say, Jesus, change us. Jesus, do something that only you can do transform us and help us be more like you. The Sermon on the Mount was not something you gave just so that we could look at it a long time coming and look at it and go, oh, well, isn't that great? Isn't that wonderful? Doesn't that look sound beautiful? No, it was given to transform us, to make us more like you because this is what you did. This is how you lived. 
We could go over example after example after example of you showing us this in the way you lived. And if we're going to follow you and we're going to be your disciple, we're going to act like you. But we're having a hard time. We need your help. So we come to you right now and we say, Jesus, with whatever we got, whatever we're dealing with, transform that in our hearts. Transform that in our lives. Make us more like you. Because we know you love us. And know you want to use us. Because you know what? There are girls in shatters, if you get what I mean, that need you. And you have chosen to use us to help them know who you are. Not, not a made up Jesus, not an misunderstood Jesus, but the true Jesus. And the only way we can portray that true Jesus is, is for you to make us like you. So change us, Father. Change us. Help us. We